1: <laughs> the Fall Guy, only in theaters May 3rd. did PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles; we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: I mean, the last game of the match, Ustamin made five of five first serves. And that, that, ki- that kind of epitomized what he was doing at the big moment. So for Novak, you know, I, I think he played a couple sloppy points and and Istomin because he's, he's kind of a weathered veteran, he gets it. He's played these guys before. I think that allowed him to kind of deal with the nerves better. But look, I just think it's a little bit of a missing edge on that razor focus right now.
1: Everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. We're at the Australian Open. We have a guest today, a special guest in Paul Anacone, former player, former coach of a number of players, including Pete Sampras and Roger Federer, now an esteemed Tennis Channel analyst. We talk a bit about what's happened through the first couple rounds here in Melbourne, obviously the big shocker. The 1A top-of-the-fold news is Novak Djokovic, six-time champ, losing in the second round to Dennis Isteman. But we also talk about some players to watch, other developments in the draw. And what about that Serena Williams, who comes in and, through two matches anyway, looks exceedingly sharp. So, without further ado, we bring him in now. Paul Anacone, good morning. How are you? Good to be here, JW. It is Friday morning. We are maybe 12 hours removed from the biggest upset in men's tennis since fill in the blank oh man you fill in the blank we were were talking about this i mean you really have to scratch your head on this one roger
0: at uh wimbledon against um stakovsky yeah that's
1: probably the last one um what i mean what what happened what's your analysis
0: it's an interesting time for novak i mean we've seen the stumble you know I, i i wouldn't have categorized it as that big of a deal, but now it's getting bigger. You know, the problem is for Novak is that he's, I mean, look. let's look at the last few years have been ridiculous. I mean, he's never lost. And so now every little loss, you just wonder, is this a habit? But, you know, now to lose at a major where he's won six times, you know, against a guy who's a good player and he played very, very well, um, but it's someone stylistically that should be okay for Novak. Um, you don't see many players that can hang with Novak from the baseline for five hours, particularly guys that are journeymen, and that's right. what Istomin did. So for me, there's a little bit of an edge that's disappeared right now, and you can think
1: about why, but it's definitely kind of evaporated for the time being. What do you tell him? I mean, after after Wimbledon last year, you say, you know what? You won the French Open. It was this great career goal, you achieved it, I, I could see why mentally you're a little fried. And after the U.S. Open, you say, well, you know, you got to the final, you lost to a good player, you had some crazy scheduling that probably set your rhythms off, remember with all the, the retirements. Sure. This, losing at the slam, you've won six times to a guy outside the top hundred. If you're the coach, what do, you, what do you say? Well,
0: I'm really a big believer in that you want your environment to not be one of panic or major changes because look all these guys and, and and the ladies the best guys and ladies are really pretty much creatures of habit so I think it's important to be pragmatic and not you know emotionally volatile about what's happened but you have to use the pragmatism to make a plan and and now for Novak, I think it's time to kind of just have a little look and say, okay, what, what's going on and why? Um, and look, I've seen it, and we've all seen it through the great players over the years, is that you can't dominate forever, and especially in an era like this where there's so many great players and now where there's so many young players that are knocking on the door. So we've talked about a changing of the guard for quite some time, so is that happening now? Well, for Novak, in order to not let that happen, he's got to sit back. Got to, okay, what do I want to do differently? How do I need to try to change things, tweak things so that I can be a little bit more consistent? I mean, let's be honest, he was ruthless and he was relentless point in and point out for year after year after year. And now we're seeing a couple of missed balls, a couple of dodgy shot selection mm-hmm. choices, um, and a couple of big moments where he's not Novak. So. We talk about narrow margins, John, but this is
1: the epitome of it. It also it, it does put into perspective what the Big Four have done. I mean, this is you know there are 128 players in the draw. It stands to reason you could have a bad day. These other players are awfully good tennis players. The fact that he's gone through and a second round upset is so shocking. It shows you how keyed in they had to be in all these these Grand Slam matches. What uh, did you see anything? I mean, he was asked physically or how are you feeling, and he was very game and said no, 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 it wasn't anything. Physical and it didn't seem as though fatigue was was really an issue. I mean, they were they were both moving fine after four and a half hours. It, it did seem as though some of his shots. I mean, Istomin had I think sixty three winners against the best defensive player maybe of all time. Did yeah. you see
0: anything there? Yeah, no, I didn't see anything physically. Again, like I say you just look at shot selection and you look at the misses and also kind of the um, the category of how the points are going really and. You know, you're missing targets by six inches. Um, you're missing serve spots by a little bit. You make one or two unforced errors at inopportune times. And to me, that's about kind of that razor focus that usually the greatest of the greats have. And that razor focus kind of goes along with the ability to totally believe it's going to happen in the biggest moments. Right, and I that, think, that's what you
1: kept waiting. Ah, oh, we've seen this movie. You know, the the guy on the other side of the net had his chance, and now Novak slammed right. the door, and and that just never.
0: Yeah, never. It never happen. really happened. And look, I mean, the last game of the match, Istomin made five of five first serves, and that that right. kind that kind of epitomized mm-hmm. what he was doing at the big moment. So for Novak. You know, I think he played a couple sloppy points, and, and Isterman, because he's, he's kind of a weathered veteran, he gets it. He's played these guys before. I think that allowed him to kind of deal with the nerves better. But, look, I just think it's a little bit of a missing edge on that razor focus right now.
1: So who's the big winner? Dennis Istaman, notwithstanding.
0: I mean, if Rafa's playing well, I think Rafa's the big winner. I think Rafa, this gives Rafa a great opportunity to get to the finals. I mean, I think Rafa has you know, a draw set up where he can do some major damage, but he's got Sasha Zverev next, who had match point against him at Indian Wells last That's year right. before Rafa got Same through. Surface. So that whole side of the draw, and I think the general locker room everyone's thinking now, Maybe this is a time for one or two of us to sneak in there.
1: Is, is that is that what I mean? That stands to reason. Is that what happens? Other other players sort of their ears perk up, and if you're Dimitrov or if you're Rafa, I, I should add too. You and I are talking. This is Paul Anikin. We're talking on Friday morning. Rafael looked terrific last night. He did. He was he was sharp. And,
0: it, you know, I, I don't think the locker room sits around and consciously spends a million hours talking about it. You get so engrossed in your own preparation, in your own world. But you have to look at the other players that have been playing terrific tennis. And Raonic getting to his first major final last year. And he played very well yesterday. And I, I, I think... I haven't talked about him
1: much as a third yeah, seed, you know,
0: he, he's been kind of quiet. Um, but with his game, and he played well here last year, as well. So he's you know he's in that immediate kind of uh, quarterfinal section uh, of Rafa. So he's going to have a, a lot of gu- uh, good tennis ahead to get through and he plays Gilles Simone next, who's a great counterpuncher. but also my, kind of one of my dark horses have been has been Grigor Dimitrov. Um, I think his resurgence this year has been really clear, starting at Brisbane. He and Danny Valverde have done a ton of really good work, and he beat three, three top, 10, three top players ten players in, in Brisbane. 10. So let's see if Grigor can kind of string it together after a little bit of a bumpy year for him
1: last year. We, we should add, he's, he's right there in the, uh, in the Djokovic section of the draw. Tonight, Roger Federer plays Tomas Burdick. That's a tough third-rounder for, for both of them. The obligatory Roger question. Uh this is a guy, I think like the head-to-head is 16-6 in favor of, of Roger. Obviously, a lot of those came at a different point in time. Burdick beat uh here's one for you. Burdick beat Roger in the Athens Olympics in 2004. I was 13. So <laughs> these guys have uh they know each other a little bit. They've 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 played together a few times. Um but uh what do you what do you see from Roger?
0: Yeah, report? this is you know and the thing about Burdick too is we've talked about him as uh the best of the next guys, or one of them, and and I think that um, his danger. We've seen it. You know, he's beaten Roger six times. He's beaten him at least at a couple majors. I yeah, know Wimbledon, Wimbledon and US, U.S. Open, open and yeah. the U.S. Open when I was there, and it was conditions that I think are going to be similar to tonight's. If it's if the roof is open, if the roof is closed, it's a little bit of a different environment, and I actually think the night session is probably. A little bit better for Burdick because it's a little heavier and slower. and with his power, he's able to still hit through the court more easily. And for Roger, it's a little bit more difficult. and when it's lively and fast, Burdick can you know can struggle to right. control the ball. So I think this is a danger match for Roger, but look he's you know he's played him 22 times. He's Roger Fetter. he's going to go into this match knowing what to expect. But this is his first big test, and uh, we're going to see where he is. Does best-of-five help him or work against him? Um, I would say it helps him um, if he's fit, if there's no injury to his body, because it's just hard to play that good for that long against great players. Um, And Roger won't panic. Um, He'll be thoughtful on the court no matter what's going on. He'll try to figure out ways to problem-solve. Um, So I think the best-of-five will help him if his body's okay. Uh, But again, playing Burdick, you know, he's like Eastman, but a better player. He's been around a long time, and he's beaten these guys in best-of-five matches. Tonight, it's really going to be about how well Federer can control the baseline. If he's getting pushed around a lot from Burdick, and Burdick is ripping his second serve, um, ripping Roger's second serve off the return and dictating, that's going to be problematic.
1: What else have you seen? I mean, part of the fun of these early rounds of majors are you—you you watch the stars play and you watch the big courts, but also you catch some names or some players that maybe you don't know as well. We were talking on the show about Ernesto Escobedo, who's been a little bit lost in this this crop of Americans. Talk, but he wins, qualifies, wins his first match, and then takes a set off David Ferrer. That's a nice uh, that's a nice outing for a guy outside the top hundred. Who who else have you seen that uh, that have impressed you? We'll. we'll Stick it to the men's side, and we'll, we'll go to the women's in a second.
0: Yeah, I think for the men, you know, this been you mentioned Escobedo. He's got a big, powerful game. Got to see him play a couple times last year. He's just another one of those players that's got a lot of danger and a lot of firepower. I was able to watch some of the zverev Tiafo match yesterday. Francis Tiafo starting to play some better tennis. Yeah, how did, how he, did he,
1: I mean, Zverev obviously won. How did, how did... Uh, how
0: did is just not as good yet. Right. And, and Zverev's just a better player with more power and also with more experience. And he just got beat by a more experienced player um, that's just got a few more weapons and a little bit more composure right now. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that was a sign. It's a good sign. I mean, it's a good sign because there's a lot of good players. Young Chung starting to play well again after having an injury last yeah, right. year. Now, he took a set off of Grigor yesterday and played some very good tennis. That very easily could have been a five-set match. Kyle Edmund lost a tough match to Carino Busta, but still showing, you know, a lot of talent. Um, I just think it's important to realize the ages. There, These guys are just so young still. You know, we saw Alex Demon, the young Australian, win in five sets, before he lost to Sam Query, he's a very good 17-year-old. You know, that's right. amazing. When you, when you look 17. at a guy, N-
1: Nishikori is 27 for perspective. So uh, N- Nishikori is still in that sort of tail end of that young guns category. He's got a decade yeah. on Demonor, eight years on Zverev and, uh, and Francis.
0: Absolutely. And we got to see um, we got to see Noah Rubin up close against Roger Federer. We don't talk a lot about Noah Rubin, a 20-year-old. Um, and, and he is gritty. Um, what I love about him is that... He's able to adjust his game a little bit. Look, he he is a controlled baseline player, but against Roger, he knew he had to play offensive tennis. So he stood up close to the baseline, got very aggressive, was a little bit more dictating with his ground strokes. He's a tremendous player. So, I mean, I, I just think it's really exciting time now to look at all the young names. We haven't even talked about Jack Sock very much.
1: He's who's been, who's uh, yeah with yeah exactly he's been is, kind of Johnson, floating right? to, you know he's, which, is, which is strange isn't it? I, mean, I think anybody would say he probably is the best bet before the tournament he's looked terrific in his first two matches and his name has barely come up
0: right and he's kind of floated through the draw and now he has to play Joe Joe Wilfred Songa today that's, that's going to be a up. real tricky one for him um, so I I just think it's one of these times and we to back to ter- talk, talk back about Novak it's one of these times when the great ones start to hiccup like Novak a little bit. Like Roger getting hurt, like uh, Rafa getting been, hurt, been taken. You know, then the the younger guys start to feel. You know, like I said, it's not a conscious conversation, but they start to realize what's happening, and it's time for them to really believe in themselves. So
1: I think this is a really opportune time for that whole group of young players. Let's let's transition to another to an unconscious conversation on the women's side, which is, Serena's 35. Kerber looks a little bit nervous defending a major for the first time. Maria Sharapova's not here, Azarenka's not here, Kvitova's not here. Is this one of these tournaments on the women's side where a, a player could slip through and win her first major, or, or do you think uh, it's, it's Serena and Kerber and they'll two pros will figure out a way to win six matches and get back to the final?
0: Yeah, well, the thing about Angie Kerber, she really has struggled.
1: She has, right? Yeah,
0: the first couple of matches have been tough for her, and... You know, with great players, I always feel like they have to figure out ways to win those average matches, and some of them can do that and have not dent their confidence. Some of them do that and don't ever get traction. I don't really know Angie Kerber well enough to know what her makeup is, but she's such a gritty competitor. I've got to think that those two clutch wins in the first two rounds will help her kind of loosen up. And play a little bit better and start to play some of her good tennis. But she has to play Kristina Pliskova now, which is going to be a tough one. Eugenie Bouchard plays Coco Vandeweghe right below them, so there, there's an area where she's going to have to raise her game, and if she doesn't, she's going to be in trouble. Serena has looked I mean, incredibly uh, shot against I mean, that, two two former top ten opponents. That I mean, draw did her no favor. Right, favors. that was a dangerous draw. I mean, I thought that was. Uh, I mean, and in some ways, what it does for a great player too is it zeroes them and it makes them focus right away. We saw it with Novak and Verdasco. Verdasco had almost beaten Novak a couple weeks ago. Novak knew what he was getting right away, played great tennis against Fernando to kind of keep him at bay. Serena did the same thing, and now Serena has to face Nicole Gibbs. Um, her draw, look, the thing about Serena is it's on her racket. And, and, it's and, up to her, and, yeah, which is a you,
1: different kind of pressure, isn't it? It's a
0: different kind of pressure, but boy, oh boy, I'd like it to be up to me. And, and there's very few people that have the capacity that no matter who you play, it's up to you. And that's Serena. So much of it's going to be about her mental preparation. I'm really excited to see what happens between Joe Conta and Caroline Wozniacki. Joe is kind of my dark horse of the tournament. She plays well,
1: Wozniacki's mine, so we'll, uh, we'll see yes.
0: how we do. Yeah, and it's a great style matchup because mm-hmm. Conta played unbelievable offensive tennis in Sydney. And just hit Jeannie Bouchard and uh, Radwanska right off the court in the last two matches, and that's tough to do against Caroline, who's right. a great defender. But I, I like what I see in Joe Conta. I love Caroline Wozniacki, so that's a great matchup. I think you have to look at those two as being, you know, potential quarterfinal matches for Serena if they get there. And to me, whoever comes out of that section wins the tournament.
1: Out of the let, let me ask you about Serena. Um... We were talking about this last night. Again, it's Friday morning on Thursday evening. Serena is supposed to play the first night match against Safarova and she's sitting there and she's in the locker room and Djokovic is on the court. And I don't know if she's watching the match per se, but it's hard to avoid. You know, people are crowding around TVs and you hear chatter and you can even hear the crowd going crazy. I mean, you can almost tell even if you your eyes are closed, you can almost tell how the match is going. You're sitting there in the locker room, and the match before you, first of all, pushes your match late, so maybe your, your rhythms get a little bit out of kilter, and then you have this titanic upset, and the six-time champion bows out, and now you've got to go on and take the court. Do you, do you think that impacts a player when there's a, a preceding match like that, especially if you're the favorite and there's a big upset? Do you think that has any bearing on the player that's next up on the court?
0: I think it absolutely can. And I think the most experienced players, um, it doesn't that much. I think what it does is, look, I can tell you from a coaching perspective, I've been in that situation as a coach with the player while that's going on. And, and really what it does is it kind of zeroes in your focus on almost just a little bit of a tweak of reality that everybody's vulnerable. And, and in some ways, it's a good little jab, a good little kind of sobering reminder um, and then what it does, it's just about managing. It's more about managing the dead time, um, and, and everyone has to do that a little bit differently. I, I think, how, do, how do
1: players do that? Well, it, it's so just much de- solitaire you can yeah, play just, on your it, phone. It
0: just depends. I, I, you know, a lot of times, you know, with Roger, we would play cards. You know, and and there's a number of times where. You know, you're, you're playing cards, and then you go into your routine with your um, trainer to warm start to warm up. You do your warm-up stuff, and then all of a sudden someone loses a set, and it goes another set. Then you sit back down again and wait 15 minutes. So that stop-start can be a little bit unsettling, but every player handles it a little bit differently. Um, and I think the biggest thing is to make sure that you give yourself time to regroup so you can be mentally prepared. And that's about the player knowing what they need. And the coach kind of pushing them to, to operate towards what they need, keeping in mind what's happening
1: on the we court. Should, we should point out that Serena Williams then goes out on the court, gets off to a nice, solid start, and ends up winning her matches in uh, her, her match last night, straight sets. All right, so through two rounds, uh, pick a winner on both sides now.
0: I, I really think that uh, Andy Murray is the man to beat in the men's side. You think this
1: is... Uh, well? We didn't even, it's funny, we didn't talk about him as being yeah. one of the big winners from uh, the Djokovic bow-out, and that's the guy who's prevented him from winning this thing.
0: Yeah, he's got a rough section of the draw. The, the thing that, I'm, that I don't know how to really evaluate that closely with Andy is his emotional volatility, because we talk about it a lot, but now it's changed because he's the hunted. And so there's right. more expectation, and he's such a perfectionist. He he is really tough on himself. He wants everything to be just right. He wants to win every point, doesn't want to miss any balls. And there's a lot of emotion that we've seen over the year that comes out during the match. The thing that you can't weigh is what that emotion does to your fuel tank. And right. that's one of the things right. that I don't think he fully comprehends is that when he's in unbelievable shape but when he allows that volatility to to kind of come to the surface it I mean, def- they the yelling
1: at the box yeah. and pacing around that yeah.
0: that takes away from the fuel tank in the quarter semis and finals so for him yeah. it's going to be really important just to be efficient and and to really stay clear of mind this will put more pressure on him not consciously but subconsciously that novak has lost He's got a good matchup with Sam Query. Sam has the firepower to beat him. We saw Sam beat Novak Sir. at Wimbledon, but it's going to be very difficult over five sets for Sam to be consistent enough to get through the great defenses of Murray. So I, I think Murray's the guy on on that side of the uh, on that on on the men's side. I, you know, I would look at um, if if Roger can get to Murray in the quarters unscathed without having two brutal matches with Burdick, and K, which is a big if. Right. That matchup is very good for Roger because he likes playing Andy Murray.
1: On this, uh, yeah. On these conditions, yeah, probably think, a nightmare. Yeah, I think he would be he would be
0: comfortable with that match. Um, so that's danger for Murray. Other than that, I think Murray is the guy to beat. A- and if I were going to go kind of with a dark horse, it's not even really a dark horse. It's the great Rafael Nadal. I mean, you just I just think he, he played great last night. He played great in Sydney. Played be- well in Sydney. I'm right? sorry, Brisbane. Yeah, yeah, be yeah. At Brisbane before he lost a roundage. I was surprised he lost that match. But he was playing really terrific tennis, and he'll get stronger as the tournament goes on if he stays healthy. So I'm going to go with... Um, that's that's such a weak call but I'm gonna go with Murray with the backup no, I mean, you know, b- no, back of Rafa and and first, um,
1: first slam where Murray is the top seed yeah, and, uh, he's never won and you say that about Rafa but this is, you know it's, it's been more than a year since he's even been to week two of a slam right so uh, so Rafa's, right, is gonna, Murray, Rafa.
0: Rafa's gonna feel the pressure and, and I think on the women's side I think whoever gets to the semifinals out of Serena section I still think that this could be another year where we're going to see a different woman winner. And I like Joe Conta. I wouldn't be shocked if Caroline plays terrific tennis and gets out um, into that quarterfinal match as well. But I really think it's the Serena Williams section of the draw. The Serena quarter. That's Serena Quarter. And then the, the dark horse um, for the women's side, you know, I, I, I'm such a huge Angelique Kerber fan. It's hard to say she's a dark horse because she's number one in the world. <laughs> but the way camp. she's played the last... She is a little bit of a dark oh, horse, though, right? I, I, can't, I can't say that I favor her to get to the finals based on what I've seen in right. the first two matches. But great players improve. They find ways to tweak their game, and I'm sure Angelique Kerbal will do that. So she won't won't be shocking if she's playing to me in the finals again.
1: We will learn a lot about her one way or the other. All right, this was great. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. We'll do another one soon. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Paul. All right, thanks to Paul Anacone for stopping by. We'll visit again with Paul or with another guest to talk about the tournament next week. I'm John Wertheim. That was Paul Anacone. Our esteemed producer is Jamie Lasanti. Tune in next week. Meanwhile, enjoy the next few rounds of the 2017 Australian Open. We'll do it again next week from Melbourne.